So this morning, we are continuing our sermon series on um, fasting. And just to kind of give a little bit of a review of where we have been, Steve began um, talking about this up here, where he talked about fasting being a spiritual discipline. Then the next week, Kiara was up here, and she was talking about fasting leading to repentance. Last week, we had Bree, who was talking about fasting and then God's power. And today, we are going to be talking about fasting and its connection to mission. And um, like we said, this week, if you're signed up for the emails, um, we're going to be praying about mission this week and what that looks like. So a little bit of a review, I'm going to just just give a simple definition of what fasting is and some thoughts on that. And then we're going to dig into our passage for today. So what is fasting? What I would say, um, a, a simple discipline or a simple definition of it is that fasting is a discipline where we deny ourselves for a certain period of time of good, good things such as food, drink, or activities for the express purpose of. And, um, it was interesting as I was studying this the last couple of weeks, you know, I was looking at why people fast in the scriptures. So I just want to give some ideas of why we might fast. Obviously, we have one here at the tab where a why for you may have been because we're doing this as a corporate body and we're, you know, entering in this for 21 days. But the main reason for that is to enter into the presence of God. Um, and in this place, but there may be an underlying reason of something you're wanting to hear from God or look for. So some examples are being drawn into closer intimacy with God. So you want to connect with God in a deeper way. Maybe you have a specific request that you're like, God, I just want to see you break in on this area. And we find an example of that in Judges. Um, in Psalm 35, we see um, an example of fasting for interceding for the oppressed or for the sick. So intercession is for somebody else. So there's somebody that maybe is on your heart and you're saying, I want to fast for this specific thing. In 1 Samuel 31, we see fasting in a response to tragedy. You know, sometimes we don't know what to do. Things are hard in this world, and so that can be a reason that we that we fast. It may be a result of being broken b- before God for por- personal or corporate sin. And we saw this in Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel, Joel. So they were prophets that were saying, you know, there's something broken and we want to fast and pray for this. And in Acts, we see that it's committing our work, our ministry, or our tasks to the Lord for guidance and blessings. Um, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. So there's all these different reasons um, why you might enter into fasting. Two quotes that I found that I thought were interesting to just kind of set this up. One was, fasting is to be practiced in order for God to get a hold of us. And for us to get a hold of God in order that he might clarify our hearts and our minds for the purposes he has for us. I loved the thought of that, that picture of him getting a hold of us and us getting a hold of him. And he's clarifying our thoughts and minds for the purposes he has. And the second um, one I have is fasting is the breeze brought by God to clear away the fog of our intentions, motivations, aspirations, and attitude so we can see more clearly what God has for for us. So it's a breeze brought by God to clear away the fog of our intentions, motivations, aspirations, and attitudes so we can see more clearly. So these are just some of the, 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 um, the ideas behind fasting as we look into us. 
Um, my main point today, I'm going to say this over and over because I want you to get this one. My main point is that things happen when you intentionally create an atmosphere to hear God. Do you believe that? Yes. Have you experienced that? Like in these last two weeks, have you experienced things happening as you've been intentionally setting aside time? I don't care if you have given up one thing for one hour. If you did it and you heard something from the Lord or you turned your your mind to the Lord and he gave you something, that is such a good thing. I didn't grow up with fasting. That was not a spiritual discipline. That was familiar to me. And um, I must say that as I've entered into this over these last years and learned, I'm growing to to love this this more and more because I'm experiencing more of the presence of God. Um, and so when things happen, when you intentionally create an atmosphere to hear God, what I've been hearing over these last two weeks so far in this fast, um, and this is just such a cool thing that I feel like the Lord's given me, is that I believe that the line between heaven and earth gets thin when we fast. And this is why we enter into his presence, why we we deny ourselves good things, because we just want more of the Lord. And um, so we're going to dig into this passage. And if you're able to stand, if you would stand with me in honor of God's word, we're going to read this passage. Um, It's Acts 13, 1 through 3. And it says this, Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon the Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Amen. You can be seated. So here in Acts 13, we get a glimpse of fasting in the early church. This is a pivotal point in the book of Acts um, because Paul the Apostle, if we go back in time, if we go back to Acts 7, it's the first time we're introduced into Paul. And it's a little bit confusing because the, the name you see in this passage is Saul. A little bit further down after this point, the Lord is going to change Saul's name to Paul. So I want you to think about those as being interta- interchangeable. So if you read Saul up here, know that we're talking about Paul the Apostle. Um, but we're first introduced to the Apostle. I'm going to use the name Paul, um, so it'll be less confusing. We're first introduced to Paul in Acts chapter 7. And at that point, we find out that Paul is a young Jewish man, and he is persecuting the church. He is killing Christians. He hates Christians. And this is what we are told about him. Then, if you dig into this this week, if you want to go to a a really cool passage in Acts 9, we find that the Lord, that Jesus and his manifest presence encounters Paul along the road, and he has an encounter with the living. Jesus that changes his life forever, and he goes from being somebody who's persecuting um, Christians to being a Jesus follower himself. And so this is who we're talking about. Now, this is interesting, between Acts 9 and Acts 13, you know, we read the Bible, right? And we just, you know, flip through the pages. Between Acts 9 and Acts 13, where we are today, they believe 12 or 13 years have passed. 
Okay, so Paul has had a long time now that he has been growing and he's been learning and he's been a part of, you know, the church. And so, you know, it's important, you know, sometimes we can read it, right? We read chapter nine, then we get to 13. We're like, oh, Paul's ready to go. He's just going out. And it's like, there's a lot of refining that the Lord was doing, a lot of teaching that was coming into this place. So I think that's just important to be able to know. Um, now we're going to dig into what's happening in this passage. So now we come to Acts 13. In verse 1, we saw that it said, um, that it said, now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets, and it listed the prophets um, that were on there. So Antioch, the church that we're talking about in this passage, is in Syria, which is a large city, and there was an important community of Christians that were growing in this church. So this was a, a gathering of believers that had come together, and God knew that Antioch could not be a stopping point, but God wanted the church of Antioch to be ascending and a launching path out into the world. They could have easily just stayed. It was a good thing going on there, right? And it would have been easy to just stay gathered together. And in some ways, it probably would have been easier, you know, but here they are. They're gathered together and they are going to be coming a launching pad. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So the Holy Spirit, look in this passage, moved the Antioch church to send Paul and Barnabas out into the wider world. So in verse 2, it says this, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, Paul, for the work to which I have called them. It says, while they were worshiping and fasting. Those are key words that are tucked into there. Um, what is about to happen happens as this church is coming into the presence of God together um, in worship and fasting. They were seeking the Lord together for guidance. In verse 2, it says, then the Holy Spirit says, set apart Barnabas and Paul for the work which I have called them. While they were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit speaks to them. So out of this place of, of encountering the Lord, of seeking his presence, we, it specifically says the Holy Spirit spoke to them and says that he wanted Paul and Barnabas to be set aside. The idea of setting aside means to set apart for a special purpose. So back when Paul became a follower of Jesus, there's actually a part in there that said that he would be the one to reach the Gentiles. And this is about to happen in what's going on here. Now, if we look in verse three, it says this. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So here we see the church in Antioch responds and obeys. Notice the Lord, he didn't tell Paul and Barnabas where they were going, right? There's no specific information. How many of us, when the Lord tells us something, I mean, I kind of want like the detailed notes of everything. Like, okay, what's this step going to be? What's this? There's none of that. He's just saying, set them apart and send them out. And Paul and Barnabas are willing to be do, to do this and to be sent out. Um, they made themselves available. Church, are we making ourselves available to whatever God has for us? Even if it's not clear, he takes our yes and he makes it immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. The church gathered and they laid hands on them and they sent them out. The results of this, church, listen to this, from Acts 13 to Acts 14, we read about the missionary journey that results from this. 
the key point, thousands of people heard the gospel because the church in Antioch was in an atmosphere to hear God and respond. By the end of Acts, it's just in one chapter, which we know can be a long time, right? But at the end of Acts, Paul, Barnabas, and others that end up gathering with them and going on mission with them take the gospel into the entire known world. They took the gospel to Rome and even as far as Spain. And this happened because the church in Antioch was willing to gather and worship and fast and hear and listen and send. What a beautiful picture of what God can do with our meager offerings. He takes these morsels and he just multiplies them in ways that we cannot even fathom. Again, things happen when you intentionally create an atmosphere to hear God. So what does this mean for us today? We low, we dig in, we see what the passage means there, but then we cross the bridge over and we say, God, what are you saying to us today? What does this mean for us individually? What does it mean for us as a church and as we we hear from the Lord together? And so a couple of things that, I mean, I'm sure you can come up with a hundred more points, um, but a couple of things that stood out to me as I was reading this passage was number one, fasting and prayer require making space for God to speak. There's a rhythm that I see here that I love is that we retreat, right? We retreat and then we re-enter. We can't spend all our time retreating. You know, sometimes we want to be like, okay, I just, I just want to let go, be alone, and I never want to enter back <laughs> into the craziness of the world. Um, but the rhythm is, is that we retreat, we spend time in the presence of the Lord, and then we re-enter into it. The church in Antioch took time. They made space for prayer, worship, and fasting. We as a church family are taking time to s- seek the presence of the Lord. We spend time on Sunday night and worship and gathering together. Um, they spend time in there. They heard from the Lord. They spend time with the Father. Another example of this that I want to dig into for you guys is I want to parallel this with the life of Jesus and look at Jesus and what he models for us in this realm. So we have the church at Antioch, and then we have Jesus. Jesus went alone to pray often, right? This was his rhythm. He did retreating with the Father, and then he re-entered. This was the rhythm of his life. And we believe that Jesus is the example for us for how to live and how to what our lives should look like. He's who we should model our lives after. So if Jesus did this, it's a good example that this is what our lives should look like. Like for Jesus, the wilderness and the desolate places became his secret place. Amen. He regularly escaped the noise and the frenzy of the crowds. You read this in the scriptures. He talks about the, the crowds were gathering and people were wanting him to heal them. All of this is swirling around. And oftentimes he would just go out by himself. He would sneak away <laughs> to get away with his father. And um, where Jesus could give his father his full attention. In Mark 1.35, it says this, Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. In Luke 5.16, it says, He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. 
Jesus also models fasting for us. There were times that he went into the wilderness for 40 days. Um, he spends time with the Father. And he calls us to the same rhythms. He calls us into fasting. You know, maybe this is something completely new to you. Maybe you've never thought about fasting before. I spent a lot of my life not reading the passages like this. But Matthew 6, 16 through 18 says, When you fast. This isn't an if. It's when you fast. And in Matthew um, 9.15 and Mark 2.20 and Luke 5.35, it says, then they will fast. So I believe, church, that we are being called into a place where we can encounter the Lord in maybe new ways that you haven't experienced before. This was a regular part in the early church. And like I said, this was not a part of the background that I knew much about before. I was reading about John Wesley, who was a... um, a theologian um, in his time, and it said he would not call somebody into the pastorate unless they were fasting at least two days a week. And he had the rhythm of, it. I think it was Wednesdays and Fridays that were the days that he set aside, that two whole days. And he believed it was so important that that was, that that was a necessity for somebody to be called into the ministry, that they experienced that kind of a rhythm in their lives. When we retreat, taking time alone with the creator of the universe, the lover of our souls pours living water into our parched hearts. When we take this time and spend, um, take the opportunity to enter into this rhythm, he will pour living water into our parched hearts. And then that living water, again, it's this, we retreat, we get filled with this living water that fills, and then it's so it can overflow into the lives of those around us. Right? That's the rhythm. That's the re-entering. But we re-enter filled and refreshed and ready to give life to those around us. We need to be alone with the Father, but this requires effort. Um, we live in a day of smartphones, social media, and second-by-second updates. How many of us sitting here during the service, if you have a smartphone and you have it on you, have been getting notifications? Has it been vibrating in your pocket? Have you been thinking, hmm, I wonder what that's saying. I wonder if something's going on. We are bombarded with notifications. Um, And it's hard to be able to, to separate ourselves from those. Listen, we must seek alone diligently. We must guard it carefully, and we must fight for it ruthlessly. This is not gonna happen unless we intentionally take time to be able to do this. We fight against our apathy that keeps us from caring enough to make the effort to be alone with God. Um, when we don't spend time uh, with the Father, it's hard to know what's going on. Um, and I was thinking of an example of this um, for Michael and I. You know, you can parallel this to our marriage. And if we're not spending time together, it's hard for us to be on the same page. You know, right? We're like, you know, maybe like two ships passing in the night. And Michael and I have rhythms, you know, at times where it's like, you know, it kind of seems like we're going in two different directions. You know, it's like you have four kids and you're juggling this. And so um, an example of this was that in the, in the fall, it just felt like, you know, that I don't know about you, but for me, like when it's the back to school rhythm, it's hard for me to like transition back. You know, it's like trying to like get in the groove and who has to be where and what's going on. And so that's hard enough. And then if we're not talking to each other, 
it can be really bad. And um, so the fall was a great example of this. And I always get permission from my kids to be able to like mention them in anything. And if I do, they get to go out for lunch with me. So they, they're okay with it. <laughs> um, but so Michael and I, you know, we're not spending time together, like, you know, in like good conversation, figuring out what's going on. And so we may have forgotten Carter um, like three times. <laughs> Twice in one week at soccer practice, <laughs> and we're getting the call of shame, you know, from the coach, like, hey, um, just want to see if somebody's coming to get Carter. I'm like, oh my gosh. We're like, Carter, we do love you, but it's because we're not spending time together that we're, like, dropping the ball. And so there's ramifications. There's effects that happen um, from not spending time together. And I would say the same as with our, our Heavenly Father. When we're spending time with Him and we're in this rhythm, you know, we kind of, like, you know, have direction for what to do and you're, you know, this back-and-forth conversation. When I'm not spending time with my Father, I'm often dropping the ball or missing out on things that he wants me to partner with him um, with. And so it's important to just take time um, to spend time with the Father and be alone. Number two, through fasting and prayer, we receive clarity and direction. The church in Antioch heard from the Spirit that Paul and Barnabas were to be set aside. Let's look at Jesus' life and his example. And the example that I was thinking of in this was Jesus when he goes to pick his disciples. And it says this in Luke 6, verses 12 through 13. It says, one of those days, Again, this was a regular rhythm. So just on one day that Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray. So this was something he did on a regular basis. He spent the night praying to God. When the morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated as apostles. So I want you to think about this. Jesus goes off by himself. He spends the night in prayer, and after that night, he has this exact clarity of who the 12 were to be. Think about this. We maybe don't spend a lot of time thinking about these disciples, um, but in human fleshly terms, if we're led to be picking people, we're going to probably pick people who are similar to us, have similar views, similar personalities. Wouldn't you think that Jesus would have picked like the priests, the up-and-coming priests or rabbis or people who were respected, that would kind of make sense that you think that would be, you know, if you were going to, like, you know, game plan who you were going to pick. But because Jesus spent time with the Father, this is who he picked. He picks a a team of people that he's going to spend three years with that look not much like him or each other. Um, It is thought that these could have even been teenage boys at the oldest, they believe that they would have been young adults. So that's the, this group that he's gathering together. Peter and Andrew are brothers and most likely competing fishermen with another family of James and John. Think about that. Those four were fishermen, and they probably could have had um, businesses that would have been going up against each other. James and John's nicknames were the Thuns of Thunder. This meant they had hot tempers. Peter was portrayed as a strong personality who was argumentative and often had to put his foot in his mouth. Matthew was a tax collector. He would have been considered a traitor and being part of the unjust Roman system over that was oppressing the Jewish people. 
What about Simon the Zealot? A zealot is a religious extremist who wanted to overthrow the Roman government with violence if necessary. So we have Matthew kind of working for the Roman government, and we picked a zealot to be in the same mix of people. What about Thomas, who refuses to believe in Jesus until he touches his wounds after the resurrection? What about Jesus, who would be the one to betray Jesus? We don't know much about all the others, um, but you get the point. Only God, the Father, could have given Jesus this group of people because you're not putting them together in logical human terms, right? And this is how God worked throughout history. He often picked the youngest. He picked Joseph and David and Jacob. What about the fact that he picks Rahab the prostitute to be a part of the line of Jesus or Ruth to be a part of the line of Jesus who was an outsider? We have, we've talked about this. We have Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was a teenage unmarried woman. And that's who Jesus is going to, who's going to be Jesus's mother. Bringing this group of boys together that's so diverse would have been difficult, but knowing that God saw a bigger picture, Jesus knew that this was the group that would change the world. Why would he select such a, such a diverse group? What was he thinking? Over the course of the next three years, this ragtag group of men would be shaped by Jesus' love and humility. They learned the way of Jesus, and they learned the way of the kingdom. And after Jesus' resurrection, they were empowered. This is not the team that you would have thought to change the world, but over the next years after Jesus' death and resurrection, they would go out and literally change the course of history, all because of Jesus spending time with the Father and picking this group of people that they knew would be the ones that were the right ones to step into this ministry. Number three, when you hear from God, take action. The church in Antioch did not just hear and set aside Paul and Barnabas. They took action. They commissioned them and they sent them out, right? Like Jesus calling his disciples, he didn't just hear who this group was supposed to be. He actually went out and he went and called each of them to be a part of what he was going to be doing. I believe that this is something that we've been talking about here at the tab. We believe that God is creating a place for us to come and encounter him in his presence through prayer and worship like the church in Antioch. Sometimes we've thrown around the term, we believe that God is creating a white hot center. The white hot center is not a place where we are supposed to just come in and be filled and have healing and rest and direction. That is absolutely what we want to happen as we gather together and we encounter God, but then we are to be propelled into mission, um, just like Paul and Barnabas went out. And so this is an important rhythm to be able to keep in mind. We see, um, in closing, we see that this is both a collective mission and an individual mission that we're looking at. The collective mission, we're looking at the church in Antioch. They heard the Lord together, and they sent Paul and Barnabas out together. We see this often in prayer where groups, big groups of people gather together. The people of Israel gathered for fasting. The Jewish people with Queen Elizabeth, they fasted and prayed and went out. But we also see Jesus as a picture of this individual seeking the Lord, spending time in his, in, in his presence, and um, leading to mission. So we hear listening, hearing, and acting. Um, so let's ask ourselves a few questions. And I put these in the, the end of your handout, handout for you to take a look at and think about what is God saying to you? What's God saying to me? 
and what are we going to do about it? You know, do you need to spend more time retreating? Do you need to set aside the things of this world, the distractions? It's not going to happen unless you intentionally set aside time. What can you do to carve out more time with the Father? Every season, this looks different for me. Like, there are seasons where it's like, I got to get up early because that's the only time that that's going to work. There are seasons where it's like, late at night is where, you know, I end up finding time. There are seasons where it's like, does it look like in the middle of the day? Maybe it's your lunch hour that you're going to set aside. I don't have the answer for you, but I can tell you, if you ask the Lord, how can I spend more time with you? He is faithful, and he will always answer that prayer for you. Um, in Jeremiah, it says, when we seek him, we will find him. You know, we love Jeremiah 20, line 11. You know, if I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. But keep going. And he says, because when you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. That's where he reveals his plans right? You have to seek him with all your heart and let him encounter you. Um, what is God saying to you? What are you hearing? The one thing I love, sometimes this is a still small voice. Sometimes it's hard to recognize the voice of the Lord, but when we spend time in his presence, we start to recognize what his voice looks like, what his voice sounds like. It says we are his sheep who know his voice, but we have to spend time with him to be able to understand and hear what he's saying. A good way to, to test the voice of the Father sometimes is are you hearing the same thing repeated? How many of you, you know, you get a passage and all of a sudden you're like, oh, like that, that really spoke to me today. Then you hear it on the radio. Then you turn, you flip to something else and you're like, oh my gosh, that's there. And then somebody from the pulpit says that same passage. That's a confirmation that this is probably something that the Lord is speaking to you. Um, also talking to other people, like Caroline said with this fast, we're not doing this alone. Like if you're hearing things from the Lord and you want to test it, talk to somebody, a trusted friend, somebody, you know, here that you can just, you know, process what God's saying to you. And finally, what action do you need to take? We can't just keep receiving everything. We can't stay in the white hot center and not go out. He is calling us into mission and this looks different for each of us. But what is he saying? A question I like to ask my Myself in the morning as I you know, spend time with the Father is, what do we get to partner together to do today? Who do you have for me to encounter with your peace and your presence? Who do you want me to speak life to? He will show you what that looks like. But the point of all of this is to go out. The church in Antioch it would have been easier for them to keep Paul and Barnabas to themselves because there would have been gaps that would have been created when those two left the church. But the church was willing to say yes. They said yes. Paul and Barnabas said yes. And they went out into mission. And so what mission is God calling you to? Um, and so again, my main point is things happen when you intentionally create an atmosphere to hear God. 